The text for this afternoon will be from Lord's Day 11, where we find the truth of God's word as found in scripture summarized in relation to the teaching on the naming of Jesus. Looking then at Lord's Day 11, which is on page 526 of the Book of Praise, there we read, why is the Son of God called Jesus, that is, Savior? Because he saves us from all our sins. And because salvation is not to be sought or found in anyone else. Do those who seek their salvation or well-being in saints, in themselves or anywhere else, also believe in the only Savior, Jesus? No. Though they boast of him in words, they in fact deny the only Savior, Jesus. For one of two things must be true. Either Jesus is not a complete Savior, or... Those who by true faith accept this Savior must find in him all that is necessary for their salvation. Brothers and sisters of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, this afternoon we'll be looking at the truths of Scripture as we find them summarized in Lord's Day 11. Lord's Day 11 also happens to be a a catechism that begins a string of catechisms from 11 through 19 that deals quite specifically with the person and the work of Jesus Christ. It begins by dealing with a number of the titles that he's given, and then it also goes on to deal with his suffering, his death, his resurrection, his ascension. Yet the interesting thing is that before it gets into all of that, it really delves into these titles, into these names. It asks questions like, why is he named Jesus? Why is he named Christ? Why is he named the only begotten son? Why do we call him our Lord? And so this afternoon, I'd like to jump into looking at the first of those questions. And so I summarize the message this afternoon simply as the name of Jesus. And as we look a bit closer at what the scriptures teach us about this name, we'll discover that it teaches us that Jesus Christ is both a complete savior and an exclusive savior. Now, perhaps this afternoon, you're wondering why are we even spending time on the name? Why do we spend all this time, Lord says 11 through 13, discussing these titles, these names? And perhaps the reason that we can maybe think this way is because of the fact that today we don't tend to give a lot of thought to names. We think of names and even naming our children. I find that often we think of names that sound nice, names that we like, names that fit well with a middle name, names that fit well with a last name. Sometimes we even pick names that are unique, names that kind of catch attention. Coming from a a Dutch background, I certainly know a thing or two about unique names. But back in biblical times, names carried a lot of weight a lot of significance. They carried a lot of meaning. You could think of Genesis 17, when God makes this covenant with Abram. He changes his name from Abram, which was exalted father, to Abraham, which means the father of many. A name that reflected the significance of the covenant that was made. Or you could think of the story of Hannah, this woman who so desperately wanted a son that she came 
time and again into the temple courts, and she pleaded with God for a son. And when God finally granted her a son, she named the boy Samuel, which means heard by God. And we see something of the significance in names also with the naming of Jesus. Because Jesus was not the name that was chosen by his earthly parents, Joseph and Mary. Instead, what we discover also in our reading from Matthew 1 today is that Jesus is the name that God wanted his son to have. And he wanted him to have that name for a reason. If we look at verse 21, it says that the angel told Joseph, you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. By giving him the name Jesus, God was identifying him as the Savior of his people. Yet we discover that he was not the Savior they expected. He was not the Savior that they were looking for. The people, they were looking, they were looking for a Savior who could help them with their earthly problems. Quite specifically, they were looking for a Savior who could help them with the oppression that they were suffering at the hands of the Romans. They were looking for a Savior who could help them with their practical problems. And I think that's a principle that is still very relevant today. Isn't it true that today, so often when tragedy strikes, people want to call out on the name of of Jesus. They face a, a hard diagnosis, a medical diagnosis that looks bleak, and they call out to Jesus. You see people who face financial hardship, and they feel compelled to call out to Jesus because they want help with their practical problems. And that's not to say this afternoon that Jesus is not able to help with those practical problems. But that is not the primary reason for which Jesus came into the world. Instead, the scriptures teach us that Jesus came to deal with people's biggest problem. And that is the problem of sin. We have a wonderful explanation of this in Luke 5, in the story of the healing of the paralytic. There you have this man who cannot walk, and he wants to be healed So he has his friends take him to Jesus. As you know, the story goes on to tell that he can't get to Jesus because of the crowd. And so he has his friends take him up around onto the roof. And they dig a hole and they lower him before Jesus. And what does Jesus do? He doesn't start by dealing with the man's practical problem, the fact that he can't walk. No, he begins by dealing with his biggest problem, the forgiveness of his sins. And he only deals with his practical problem as a means by which he can affirm his authority. Jesus Christ is the Savior who came to forgive people of their sins, of their enslavement to sin. And not just some of them. That's something that the Catechism wants to point out today. Jesus came to save us from all our sins. It's one of the beautiful things about the gospel of grace. 
There's no sin in our life that is beyond the saving reach of Jesus Christ. And yet, as people, we sometimes struggle with that. As Christians, we struggle with that. I was reminded of that a number of months ago. I went to visit a man in the Hamilton Detention Center, in the Hamilton Jail. It was a man who had lost his wife recently, and she'd passed away while he was incarcerated, so he hadn't been able to see her. And because of the tragedy that had occurred, the man was struggling. He was struggling with the meaning of life. He was struggling with his purpose. It was a man who'd been raised in a Christian home. And so he would freely tell me that he knew, he knew the way he was living was not the way that God wanted him to live. So I spoke to him about looking to Jesus Christ, finding peace there, finding forgiveness of sins there. And yet the man said to me, there are things that I've done that I don't even think Jesus can forgive. And I think to one degree or another, we are all sometimes tempted to look at our lives and to think about these things. Sometimes we look at the years of struggles that we've had, maybe years of addiction, addiction to alcohol, addiction to pornography, and we look at at this and we say, Could Jesus forgive that? Or even worse, sometimes we look at other people and we say, yes, I know that Jesus Christ, he's a savior and he could save people from their sins. But that man, that woman, they are beyond the saving reach of Jesus Christ. And yet that's not the way that you see Jesus Christ revealed in scripture. I think of a passage like 1 John 1 verse 9 which says, If we confess our sins, he, that is Jesus Christ, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so as we gather this afternoon and as we consider the truth of the gospel as confessed in Lord's Day 11, recognize that as you look at your life and you look at your struggles, that you have in Jesus Christ a complete Savior, one who forgives you from your sins. And yet Jesus is not just a complete Savior. We also discover in this Lord's Day that Jesus is an exclusive Savior. And with this, we get into the heart of what makes Christianity so controversial. You see, most people, they can live, they can live with the fact that you believe in Jesus Christ, that you believe in the forgiveness of sins, that you believe in his suffering and death, and that you believe in the life eternal. But what they cannot live with is when we preach to them that Jesus Christ is the only way, the exclusive way to salvation. Who are you They sometimes say, who are you to tell us what we need to believe? I mean, you can go ahead and believe what you need to, but don't tell me what I need to believe. And I think that's one of the biggest challenges for us as we desire to spread the gospel is that we worry about this type of reaction. We worry about how people might lash out. And yet here too, we need to stay faithful to the teachings of Scripture. And scripture is perfectly clear on this point. 
Acts 4, verse 12, tells us that there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. There is no other name but the name of Jesus. That is the truth of the Christian faith. There is only one way, and that way is through Jesus Christ. That's something that the the catechism here is trying to drive home. It's saying, if Jesus Christ provides you with everything that you need, then he's the only thing that you need. It says, either one of two things must be true. Either Jesus is the complete Savior, and you find everything that you need for salvation in him, or else he's really no Savior at all. It's either one or the other. And here, too, many people struggle with this concept of the Christian faith. They may allow that Jesus was a real historical figure. There are many people who would concede that there was a man named Jesus who lived and breathed and walked in Galilee some 2,000 years ago. Even Muslims, for example, they will confess that Jesus Christ was a prophet, a great prophet. But they don't want to see him as the complete Savior. They don't want to see him as the exclusive Savior. They may believe that he was a real historical figure, but they don't want to say the words of John 14, verse 6, a passage that we spoke of this morning, where Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There is an innate desire of the human nature to feel that they play some type of contributing role in this picture of salvation. Yes, Jesus is the complete Savior, but we do something as well. And it's a mentality that pervades almost every single religion. If you look at the religion of the Buddhists, there you see that those who desire to enter the state of nirvana, the end goal for them, well, they get there by a state of personal discipline, by a process of effort. If we look at Hinduism, for example, There too, you see that to end this constant cycle of death and reincarnation and death and reincarnation, how do you reach the end goal? Well, self-meditation, personal discipline, effort. Even the Muslims will teach that Allah grants life eternal. He grants it to those who lead a life of moral uprightness, those who hold to the five pillars of the faith. And it's a thinking that has also come into Christianity as well. We do see it in the teaching, for example, of Catholicism, with the emphasis that they place upon things like communion and confession and prayer to saints. And perhaps, as you read this catechism this afternoon, as you scan through it, you think, well, I only pray to Jesus. I don't pray to saints. And you feel pretty good. You can look at your list and you can check some boxes, but hold on. If you look closer at the catechism, it says that if we look for our salvation anywhere else, 
anywhere else, if you think you're doing anything to add to your salvation, then you too are going astray. And I think that is a challenge for us in our own lives. Maybe we can look at these other areas and say, I don't struggle in that. But do we say, yes, Lord, you're a complete Savior. Yes, you're an exclusive Savior. But don't forget about my church attendance. Don't forget about how well I dress. Do we look at it and say, Lord, Lord, yes, you're complete. Yes, you're exclusive. But let's not overlook the fact that I make a great contribution to the bottom line of the budget. Do we have other areas of our lives where we ourselves are looking to other things as if they somehow contribute to our salvation? And if that is the case for us, then we need to spend time in the truth of Scripture. Ephesians 2, for example, is a wonderful passage, a passage that reminds us of the gospel of grace. I think specifically of the verses 8 and 9. It says, For by grace you have been saved, through faith, and this not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. We learned today that God wanted his son to have a particular name, the name of Jesus, a name that's also reflective of the beauty of the gospel, the beauty of our Savior himself, one who is complete, one who is exclusive, one who reminds us that our salvation is all about Jesus, and it is only about Jesus. Amen.